Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. I'm going to pray just a couple of verses from 2 Peter chapter 1 about the promises of God to let our hearts start there that all we do is rooted in what God has purposed and in what God has promised. And then we'll land there at the end of our message this morning also back on the promises of God. So join me at the throne of the Father from 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. And through his glory and goodness, he has given us great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Father, you have invited us into your own nature and life. You have imparted to us eternal life through Jesus. And you tell us here that through your promises, through the things that you are speaking into our lives, through your word and through your spirit, that we participate in your character, in your nature, in your heart, in your love. So I ask you, Father, that your word today, that makes things alive, that makes things exist. When you speak, it is so. Lord, would you speak through me your word and your heart for these moments, for our lives and for our world that you love. And we pray this in the glorious name, the good name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, we live in a world where there are a lot of questions uh, not many answers right now. I mean, we get little answers here and there, and we get uh, projections, and then this changes and that changes. There's just a world. We live in a world of great uncertainty, and, and with that, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of misunderstanding, but what I want to talk about today is what is God saying in our world today? What is God's current agenda? What are the promises and prophecies that we are to be looking at and listening for through God's Spirit in this world today. He's saying something to us through this pandemic, and it, it behooves us to listen to him. That's been in our small group, uh, our journey group on Friday night. We were talking about the difference between before this pandemic and after. Was God relating to us any differently? And I said, to me, it was like before I was learning and growing and doing my things that God has called me to do. But in the midst of this, I've been sensing a greater call to listen, to hear what is God saying? What is his current word for this moment, for my life, for the church that he gives me to speak to? So I want to talk today about some of the things that we know from God, from God's spirit, from God's word, from his prophecies, from his promises. What is it in this great time of questions and uncertainty? What is it as followers of Christ? That we know. Well, let me share some things that I am absolutely positive about. Number one, we know that crisis is the context for the finish. We know that when this age sums up, when God is bringing to, to, to this end, the age that we live in, and bringing forth then the birth of his kingdom, 
we know that the context for that happening is going to be a time of great crisis. Now, please hear me. This world is not coming to an end. Jesus said in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he said that, uh, you know, I'm sending you into the world and I'm going to be with you even to the end of the age. Not the end of the world, the end of the age. This age comes to an end. The age where Satan is ruled, where mankind is ruled, and where God then lets his kingdom become manifest. It is actually the rule and the reign behind the scenes, but that will be manifest in our history and on our planet. I am with you always, even to the end of this age. So this world is not ending, but the age will end. And we know that the context in which that's going to occur is going to be a time of great crisis. Jesus himself tells us, Matthew chapter 24, verse 21 for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world or will ever be until now. Jesus tells us there is going to be tribulation. It's going to be worse than it's ever been before. It's going to be worse than it will ever be again. So Jesus himself tells us there's going to be great conflict at the end. Worse than it's ever been, worse than it ever will be. The period of tribulation, the great tribulation, before the establishment of the kingdom, the return of Christ, will be a time of crisis. Isaiah 60, if you've been around Calvary long, this has been so taught and shared here. Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2, where in the Old Testament, Isaiah is prophesying of this time of great tribulation that Jesus tells us about. Isaiah says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, thick darkness, the people. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. God's story has been consistent all the way through. The time of the end of this age and the coming of the kingdom of God will be a time of great darkness. But notice also great light. Darkness and light all at the same time. Darkness over the earth. Darkness on the people. But on God's people, the glory of the Lord. The light is shining. So Jesus tells us in the New Testament, the end of the age is going to be a time when the wheat and the tares, the fullness of righteousness and the fullness of wickedness, it all grows up together. Darkness, light, wheat and tares, a decaying world and a glorious church. That will be the end of the age, this great time of crisis and yet the establishment of a glorious bride of Christ. Matthew chapter 24 teaches us again from the words of Jesus about this great tribulation. Matthew 24, verse 29 through 31. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, so we're coming to the end of the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So Jesus comes on the clouds when? After the great tribulation, at the end of this time of crisis. Verse 31, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather his, together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky unto the other. The saints are going to be caught up, it says, 
to meet the Lord in the air. When does this happen? After the great tribulation. So what is the context for God summing up this age? How will we know? It will be a time of great tribulation. Crisis is the context for the finish. We are absolutely certain of that. What else do we know? I'll tell you something we know. We have an assignment from the Lord. We have an assignment. You, I, we all, I, I have an assignment. You do. It's like the church has an assignment in the time in which we live. Last week was Easter. What a great and glorious Sunday it was to celebrate the resurrection. Jesus, one of the most amazing things about the Easter story, here we have this resurrected man, humanity 2.0. Here is our future in living flesh, but re resurrected flesh with all his new powers and glory. And it says when he comes, our bodies are going to be made like his glorious body. But Jesus didn't say, well, I'm going to stick around and show everybody what it's going to be like and we'll win the world. Jesus does an amazing thing. He entrusts his kingdom to his followers. Now, that just blows my mind. I mean, look at Jesus, three years with these guys, and he then says, I've got this resurrected body, but I'm going to take it back to heaven, and I want you to go and to win the world. Go into all the world and make disciples into all the nations. And so here he calls his disciples at the very end and he says, okay, I'm resurrected, but I'm not staying in this form. I'm going back to heaven and I'm going to send my spirit and he'll be with you, but I'm entrusting this work to you. Jesus sends his disciples. I mean, it just blows my mind. Think about who he sends. You got Pete and Andy. You know, the fishermen, Peter, Andrew, it's like they're always mending their nets. They didn't have a good string. It's like, Pete, you got some string over there? It's like, I got to mend the nets. We, fishermen, this is who he sends into the world. I'm a fisherman. I know what we guys are like sometimes. Hey, then he has James and John. Now, who is this? The Sons of Thunder. I mean, this is a two-man gang. Can you imagine walking around with your brother? It must have been kind of beefy guys. It's like... They're the sons of thunder. Everybody knew them in that way. I think they must have had racing stripes on their camels and wore black leather robes and had sons of thunder emblazoned on the back with some lightning bolts or something. These are the followers he entrusts the kingdom of God to. Oh, well, you could think he also sends out Matthew, the tax collector. Oh, that's just who everybody wants to see showing up at their door. Let me tell you about the love of God, and I'm here to collect your taxes. It's like... God entrusted his kingdom to these followers. Or you could take Zacchaeus, the little person, Mary Magdalene. Well, let's don't even go there. Think about this. Jesus chooses a group of people to reach the world. And look at who he chose. And beyond that, I mean, look who else he chose. How about you? How about me? We are the ones Jesus has entrusted his message, his kingdom, his purposes to. And that tells me one thing that I know, and here it is for you and for me. Jesus believes in you. Jesus believes in you. Jesus knows that you and who you are, you are just the person. Remember, the scripture says, we didn't choose him. He chose us. You are a chosen one of God to go into all the world with his love, with his truth, with his goodness, with his mercy, with his kindness. 
Jesus believes in you. And I want to tell you for a fact, no pandemic relieves us of that assignment. We are on mission with God. And that is our calling in this day and in this hour more than ever. What do we know? A world full of questions. What else do we know? I'll tell you this. I know this pandemic is not the end. This is not the great tribulation. The pandemic that we're in right now, in spite of the difficulties and even the tragedies involved in this, listen, this is a pop quiz. This is not the final exam. This is not the crisis of the end that Jesus describes. It's not the big one by a long shot. This is a pop quiz, and it's reminding us, hey, there's a final exam coming. There is a great tribulation coming, and we as believers need to remember the great tribulation. We're not the victims of the great tribulation. We're the cause of the great tribulation. Think, always think Moses and Exodus and ten plagues. These are things that deliver God's people, and that's exactly what the great tribulation will be, things that deliver us out of this present evil age and that release and reveal the coming of the kingdom of God. So while this is not the final exam, it's a pop quiz. It's a time for us to get prepared. It's a time for us to make some choices, a time to strengthen our character, to form some holy habits, to deepen our love for God. So while I know this is not the end, it is an important thing to remember. Pop quizzes count, and these are times to help us get prepared. What else do we know? world of questions, what do we know as followers of Christ? I can tell you this, because Christ is risen, because Easter has happened, we are, con we are to continue living in faith, in hope, in love all the days of our life. No virus has the final say in your life or in mine. We have been called by God to live in no matter what goes on in this world, even the final darkness, the great darkness. Remember, the glory of the Lord is going to shine on us. A life of faith in God, a life of hope in his promises and prophecies, a life of love for his son and for his kingdom. Oh, listen. That virus that we're facing now does not have the final say in your life. Even death does not have the final say in our lives. Jesus tells us in John chapter 11, remember his friend Lazarus had died and he speaks to Martha, Lazarus' sister, his dear friend. And Jesus says this to her in, Matthew, in John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the word of the Lord. We have a certainty in this life and Jesus has the final say in everything. He is the resurrection and the life. And we can be sure our calling, our assignment right now to reach the world with God's love and to do that, we need to be people of faith, people of hope, people of love. Never lose our grip on those virtues because those are the sign of God's kingdom and God's presence among us. What else do we know in a world of uncertainty? Here's what we know. 
Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 tells us this. We have been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Hear me, I don't care what attacks the devil makes, what forays, what skirmishes, what battle plans that he has, the devil and his demons do not have the final say-so in this life. Hear me, we have the final say-so in their lives. Paul tells us, do you not know you will judge angels? We have been seated in authority above the principalities and powers of wickedness in heavenly places. We are called to rule and to reign with Christ. Oh, listen, we live in a world that is filled with fear, with uncertainty. I mean, this is a day of worry and even panic in some lives, in some cities. But as believers in Christ, as followers of Jesus, let us keep our lives in line with his word to know that we are called to rule and to reign, to be victorious in life, to be overcomers. Let us continue to be filled with his spirit, to be worshipers of God, to be witnesses to men and women and boys and girls. Let us not be moved from our position in Christ. We rule, we reign with him. We have a place of faith. We have a spirit of peace who lives in us. And we have the God who is called the God of hope. Christian, don't be moved from your position. Stand firm in faith, in hope, and in love. What else do we know? Let me say, as followers of Jesus, we are not exempt from the trials and troubles in this world. Protection is one of those promises, isn't it? I pray prayers of protection for my life, for my family. I pray that for my church family. For many of you, every day, I pray for you. I pray for God to hold the virus back from us and to protect us. That is a great promise of God. But I know in my heart, when I look at life, when I look at the word, we're not exempt from trials and troubles in this world. And certainly we should believe in and pray prayers of protection. They matter. They are a gift from God. But there are many greater gifts from God even than what we might think of as protection. There are glorious promises and prophecies that are absolutely liberating and life-changing for the whole creation. We need to see God's promises, God's prophecies they cover a lot of territory in our lives. So as followers of Jesus, whatever we encounter, whatever trials and troubles we go through, God has promises that will see us and cover us and keep us all the way through. I've oftentimes in life stood with people in places as a pastor, places of tragedy and trial, difficulties. And, and so often we want to know, God, why? why? Why me? Why this? Why now? And we ask these why questions. And there are a lot of times I have found God does not answer my why questions. But I want you to know something I'm absolutely certain of. Where God does not give us answers, he gives us promises. And his promises that we prayed at the beginning of this message are great and magnificent. That's how they are described. Because they rescue us, they transform us, allowing us to actually share the divine nature. We read in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. 
the promises and prophecies of the word of God. Here's what I know in this day of uncertainty and question. His promises are certain. His prophecies are sure. We can stand. We can believe. And we can be faithful to what God has said. His word will not fail us. And he will not forsake us. When you look at Jesus, the life of Jesus, do you realize even Jesus had to live by the promises and prophecies in the word of God? He was a man of faith, like we are called to be men and women of faith. What do we know in this world of trial and trouble? What do we know? Well, we know we're not exempt, but we know God has us covered, just like he had Jesus covered. Something we've learned as a church family in the last couple of years as we study God's word, that our God, the God we believe in, the creator, our father, our savior, our God is a promise-making God. He is a promise-maker. And as we've studied his promises, we've learned this. If we're going to mature as his children, as his sons and daughters, if we are going to be like Jesus and we have a promise-maker God, then as we mature, we must become promise-takers. We must take the promises into us and say, God, I believe. God, I trust. God, I will stand on this promise in the word that you have made. So our promise-making God actually wants us to be promise-takers. Jesus lived that way. He lived in faith on the promises and the prophecies of the word of God. And as he walked with God, the promises and prophecies, we can see them come true in his life time and time again. Our God's a promise maker. We have to be promise takers. Jesus believed in and stood on the word of God. If you took Hebrews chapter 12, it would be a great homework assignment for this afternoon. Some meditation time in Hebrews 12. You read the first few verses, you find Jesus, and here he goes through a great trial and trouble. He wasn't exempt, was he? But there it says that he went through the cross with all its suffering, that there was something that sustained him. There was a joy. Where did he get that joy from? It came from the promises and the prophecies in the word of God that he would conquer death and that he would be the way through the life the way, the truth, the life. He would be that for us. And so he trusted that promise. He's trusted that prophecy of resurrection and he followed it and stood on it and God took him all the way through and it, it sustained him. That is our promise-making God. Jesus was his promise-keeping son, his promise-taking son. And we have to be promise-takers to be like him. People of faith, people of joy that God's word not forsake us. If you read all the way through Hebrews, you'll get into the middle part about our lives and discipline as children and God's love. You get to the end, you know what you find? The great tribulation at the end of Hebrews 12. The shaking. Jesus has his shaking at the cross in the, verse, in the first three or four verses. We have our shaking at the end, the great tribulation in Hebrews chapter 12. And we find there that we are to stand true as worshipers, as promise takers like Jesus was was and to be people of worship and people of mission with God as Jesus was. So in these days that we're living, days of trial and trouble, confusion, 
even fear. Days of questions without end. Here is a chance for us to grow strong in our faith. Here is an opportunity in this preseason game, if you will, an opportunity for us to run some of the plays we're going to be running at the end. It's a time of great practice, and it matters because what you practice makes you perfect. We want to strive to be those promise takers and grow strong in our faith as Jesus did in his faith, to embrace and to believe and to stand on the promises and the prophecies of God. So I want to close today with two promises from God that might be really good promises for you in this hour, for people that you know. Maybe they're promises to pass on to someone else. But we started by talking about God's promises and how they change us and make us partakers of the divine nature. And certainly that matters in our lives, but also their promises to pass on to those around us because we're on mission with our God. So I want to close with these two promises. Been asking all along in this day a question, what do we know for sure? And we've looked at some things we know for sure. I want to give you two more things I know for sure and you know for sure. Here they are. Number one in these days of uncertainty, I know Romans 8:28 is true for you and for me. And God makes this promise. It says, and we know, there it is. What do we know? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Oh, listen, promises of God are things we know for sure. And God promises all the stuff in life, the good, the bad, the ugly. God says, if you love me, if you're wanting to live out my purposes, we keep our lives in love with God and aimed at the purposes, the things he's called us to do and to be and to become. God says, then all the stuff that comes in your life, I'm going to use it for good. I will bring something good out of that in you and through you in this world. What a great promise that we can be sure of. And the last promise that I would mention. One other thing, here's something we know. I know, you know, this is a promise. Maybe for you in this hour. Maybe for someone you need to share it with. Psalm 34, verse 18 and 19. Psalm 34, 18 and 19. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person faces many troubles. We're not exempt. But it says, the righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. What a great promise to believe in, to find as your own, a precious, magnificent promises that make you like Jesus, that cause you to share his divine nature, to believe that even when I'm brokenhearted, that God comes to be with me and to be near to me and to comfort me and to encourage me. Even if my spirit is crushed, if I have some great loss or some great trial in life, it says that God comes to rescue that spirit. He's tender, he's near, he's with you, and he will cause you to overcome. And so he reminds us in this promise in verse 19, Psalm 34, the righteous person faces many troubles. We go through this same broken world other people go through, but the Lord comes to our rescue each time. 
That is our promise-making God. And God calls us today to be promise-takers. Those are things we know. And I want us to stand on those things and to allow those things to make us more and more like Jesus. I want to pray, and then I want to share with you a couple of opportunities that are coming to us. Father, thank you that you are with us in this very moment in our offices, on our couches with our phones, and our laptops in the bedroom, and our home desk. Lord, we are gathered with you. You are with us in this place, in this moment. Not one of us is far. You are with us. Thank you. Thank you for being Emmanuel, God with us. And I pray these promises would be bright in our hearts, bright in our spirits, that all that comes in this world, you can make it for good. Just help us, Lord, to stay in love with you, to keep serving you. Help us, Lord, to know even in the hard places, in the trials and, and in the difficulties of life, that you are there with us and you bring us to victory and to overcoming every time. Oh God, thank you for these precious and magnificent promises that will make us like your son Jesus. So God, may they flow into us and may they find a place to live in us and transform us and may they flow through us as the world grows darker, Lord. May we grow brighter as your glory shines upon us. In the name and the glory of Jesus, I ask this. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this episode from Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.